Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast, a convenient place where you can stay up to date on what's popular in the swine industry. By listening to Popular Pig, you will receive invaluable information on the latest trends, news, and research from various experts who guide the global pork industry. Popular Pig is brought to you by Swine Tech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com. Popular Pig is also made possible by Johnsonville Foods, High Pork Genetics, Minitube, Brenneman Pork, Fibro Animal Health, Swine Robotics, Innovative Heating, and PigEquipment.com. Brought to you by American Resources. Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast. My name is Matthew Roto, your host for today's episode. Today, Andrew McKenzie joining us to talk about we have no data, we have no automation. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, sir. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's exciting to talk with you about this. We were in San Francisco not but a few weeks ago talking about this with uh, hundreds of people who are trying to change the future of food. I think from the swine side, it was very interesting because you had so many ideas from, from different types of uh, scalable production of protein from insects to, to who knows what. And... One of the ladies from PIC came up and she talked about how they had a uh, PERS-resistant pig. And the whole room was basically silent. And it was funny how, like, nobody knew how big of a deal that was. But, like, when they came up, there was the swine people in the room wanted to jump out of their chairs, like, progress. And everyone else is like, all right, well, what's the next thing? What's the the sustainability play this year? And (laughs) But... (laughs) Could you introduce yourself and your background and just tell us what brought you to San Francisco and what brought you to doing what you're doing today? Yeah, so um, I'm the CEO of Precision Livestock <clears throat> Technology, excuse me, and we um, are a company that uses machine vision to optimize livestock operations. Um, we started the company about two and a half years ago. I started with a friend of mine from college who's a Ph.D., physicist. Uh, My background is engineering, and I've been on the principal investing side and, you know, also worked at a number of uh, successful startup software companies. And when Tim approached me with this idea to bring machine vision to the livestock market, I was intrigued for a number of reasons. Um, One, after working in software for the last 15 or so years, the engineer in me was excited to get back in the real world, if you will, you know, get some mud on my boots and, and be out, you know, solving those kinds of problems. And and for another, I was really intrigued with the idea that we could have an impact on a large global industry in a real way in an industry that, frankly, is, you know, responsible for feeding the world. That's just exciting. Right. And that's just that's just meaningful. Uh, Tim's prior company had used machine vision to monitor lab mice and pharmaceutical trials. So that was kind of the genesis of this machine vision uh, with, with animals. So, you know, we jumped in in, in 2019 and, and started the company, raised our first capital, outside capital anyway, in early 2020, um, and have been off to the races since then. It's been a huge education for me personally. Um, today, we focus exclusively on beef cattle feedlots. Uh, which is a, a vital industry that not enough people know uh, about. Um, and we'll talk about some of the challenges 
they face. But it's been um, just a tremendous pleasure to be involved in uh, this industry. And, uh, you know, I remain humbled by the by the expertise and care that these producers, uh, you know, bring to their jobs, which are incredibly complex and relentless um, and just require just constant uh, work and and attention. So before we kind of get started on today's topic, we were both in San Francisco. So I'd like to ask you at this Global Animal Ag Tech Summit, what was a takeaway that you had leaving there that really stood out to you? Um, it's interesting. You know, I, I don't want this to be seen as negative, but it gives you, you know, the difference in perspective between, you know, people like you and me and the big corporates, you know, for me, the ag tech industry is about technology in, in agriculture. And, you know, on the, the corporate sort of what they bring to these conferences is that sort of how does ag tech um, impact or help them achieve their sustainability goals. And it's just really interesting to see both directions of that, right? Because we are so focused on the data, improving the day-to-day operations of these producers. And not that the big corporates aren't, but at the conferences, they just bring it like, it was almost like two conferences, like a sustainability conference and a tech conference. And I found it hard to like keep both those uh, thoughts active in my head at the the same time. I don't know. Very much so. Would you find that too? Yeah, no, I would agree with you. It kind of felt like that. It's like, we're trying to figure out how do we help the farmer? They're trying to figure out how do they please their stakeholders, which makes complete sense because that's, that's their role. But uh, yeah, it's how do, we, how do we grow our business and growing their business is not the same as an ag tech company growing their business because it's just completely different um, and goal. But you mentioned day-to-day issues and how ag tech is, is all about solving those. Can you talk about some of the day-to-day struggles of optimizing operations stay in agriculture? Yeah, sure. I mean, what we hear from producers to a man is that it is increasingly hard to um, find, train, and retain skilled labor. I mean, it is just a pervasive problem. And, you know, we don't work in the sort of larger ag crop crop space, but I understand it's a, it's a, it's a problem um, there. And so I think that's a, that's a big that's a big issue for, for the industry um, that, that we hear about a lot. So what do you hear about when it comes to justifying or implementing technologies? What are the struggles that come along with these producers? They're sitting there, they're saying, we need to be more efficient. We recognize this technology makes sense. But then when it comes down to rubber hitting the road, what are some of the issues that tend to happen? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, in a lot of ways, when you're entering a space like this, certainly with a technology like ours that's that's quite new um, in doing what it does, um, is you're essentially competing against the status quo, right? And that's and that's only too fair, right? Because these people are good at what they do, right? They're they're good at what they do, and so our our approach from the start uh, has been not to take a black box approach, like we're going to come in and revolutionize cattle feeding, you know, yeah. we're not. And if we tried to do that, I promise you'd be a disaster. Anybody let us do it. And so our approach has always been, Hey, you know, first of all, 
you know, what are your day-to-day problems? Um, second of all, when you're, you know, let's take cattle feeding, for instance, which is the first thing that we're focused off from a pro- focused on from a product standpoint, you know, what data do you use today to make decisions? Um, and what time of day do you make those decisions? Um, and who makes those decisions? Um, and on what basis do they make those decisions? Where's the framework come from? And, and really, you know, from our standpoint, you need to understand all of those things and you need to understand how your technology um, fits into that system. Mm-hmm. I think it's really hard, particularly for a startup to go in and say, hey, we've got this shiny thing, you know, it does something new and it's going to solve your problems. You know, we've taken a different approach, which, which is to say, okay, you use this day to day. Here it is in an objective, continuous format, right? You gather it today in feedlots by driving around in trucks. You know, Joe drives around it three times a day and he makes notes, right? Mm-hmm. And so we're saying, okay, well, what if, you know, in the form of a camera, we had Joe up on a pole just gathering data, completely accurate data 24 seven, um, would that free up Joe to do a better job? Would that allow you to train more people to do what Joe does? Cause Joe's been there 30 years, but um, he's not going to be there forever. And what do you do if Joe leaves? Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, that's always been kind of our, our approach. And I think that makes it easier for the producer to get comfortable that, Hey, you know, this is something that I'm going to know how to use from the start. Um, and they all say, hey, maybe we'll all learn something. We've never had this kind of data before. You know, I, I'm willing to change, but but at least give me something I can use tomorrow, uh, you know, to make more money. Yeah, it's make change palatable and ensure that I, as the user or the subscriber or owner here realize value at least some value some sign that what i'm doing makes sense in a relatively short period of time yeah and i think the other issue that the other trap a lot of people fall into is if i provide this producer all this data everything's going to be great for him and and that's where i think it's important for you to understand what time of day they use the data how much time they have to use the data and you know in what format do they want the data? And so obviously you have to be able to create good data. Fine. Let's say we can do that. The next challenge is creating something that um, surfaces the information they need uh, in a way that they don't have to dig around through the data to find insights. Cause yeah. the fact of the matter is they won't, they can't. We're not <laughs> data scientists. We're, we're producers of, of animal protein. We're yeah. Yeah. So, so you really have to focus on, um, you know, in our from our standpoint on the analytics side, you know, what are the prepackaged reports we can create that you can just pull up and get the insights you want? What filters do you need on those? What alerts can you set to have the system tell you when things are off spec for how you feed cattle? And that's the other thing we learned. We know this intimately in cattle feeding, and I'm sure it's true in swine. You could tell me if it's not, but you know, these guys, I mean, one's 10 miles up the road from the other. They have different philosophies in how they do things. And they're advised by two different people with PhDs. 
who don't agree on the right, you know, pieces of data to use to feed cattle, right? And so yeah. you have to be aware of the fact that um, there are some deeply held beliefs, you know, there's some orthodoxy out there on the one hand. And on the other hand, you or nobody, certainly I don't know which is actually correct. Or best for that particular environment. Like each one could have its own perfect self. Yeah, that's right. Because they've got whatever mill they have. They have however many trucks they have. Their bunks are this size. You know, I mean, it's all. Wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be funny if it was inverse for both of them? Like the other person's was best for them. And likewise, like they were both doing the wrong thing for themselves and the other person's was better for each other. Well, it's funny, you know, Possible. because the, and, and then on the, then you have all the researchers who are doing stuff who do research projects and they're very well intentioned and they're extremely smart. And their research says, well, it turns out you should feed cattle once a day at four o'clock in the afternoon. Oh, okay, fine. But the problem is, the bunks don't hold that much food and the feed trucks don't hold that much food and the mills aren't big enough and you can't staff a place. Right. And so you've got like the ideal, the actual, and then all the variations on those. And, you know, I think it's really crucial that you take the time and energy required to be open-minded approach producers with the idea that maybe there isn't a right answer. There's just, what's happening today and can you make that better you know we'll get to we'll get to the ideal maybe someday maybe never but you're never going to get there if you don't start at a place that you know has an immediate impact yeah take the first step i think it's great i mean in our industry we look at vet we did some stuff so we use treatments of veterinarians and we'll use uh birthing monitoring for day-to-day caregivers well veterinarians they kind of set the sop but when we talk about what does it mean to disrupt a, if someone disrupts or is not compliant with the treatment regimen, how does that change? There's four to five to six different opinions or routes that you can go with that. Well, we don't know which one's right. We, we really haven't ever measured the data um, on a consistent enough basis on an individual herd to know what's the perfect one for them. And even with individuals checking sows, like a farm might have an SOP, but you meet with the individuals on the farm and they all have their own little, well, this is what I think's best. And so we, we have a lack of consistency as an industry or even as a farm in what everybody's doing to accomplish a goal. And that just makes it very hard to understand if oh, we're yeah. going in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. And there's just simply stuff that outside of your control. I mean, there's yeah. like, you know, disease in swine, I know is a big, is a big deal. And, you know, in a cattle feedlot, the weather is just a wild card. True. You know, you just, you, it's seasonal. Okay. I get it. But, you know, you have to, you have to deal with the, you have to play with the cards you're, you're dealt, right? There is no ideal. There is no platonic, you know, day in a feedlot. Yeah. Last thing you want to product telling somebody they're doing an awful job when you have a negative 30 degree blizzard out and you're like, well, uh, through you technology, I'm doing my best right now. I can't do better. (laughs) Right. Right. So, you know, yeah. I mean, to boil it down, right. We've, we have always taken a very, you know, practical approach to what we're trying to do first with an eye towards all the cool stuff that we could do with data, you know, et cetera. But like, let's try to be useful today. That's the super important. Yeah. So what does it mean then, or what will it take to feed the future world? Like, what is that going to look like? What are some of the facts 
and opinions that we know today and, and what that journey is going to look like? I mean, on the one hand, we know that the global population is going to um, increase, right? Um, on, uh, similarly, the populations in the, in the cities are going to increase and the middle class is going to grow, you know, globally. A lot of people, I think, view that as, wow, that's scary. But, you know, to which I say, gee, I hope, I hope so. I hope we have a growing, you know, global middle class. It, it's about time. It's been a long journey, mm-hmm. um, you know, for a lot of those societies, for, for all of us as a, a human race. Um, you know, that's uh, an, an opportunity, right? I mean, it's a, it's a necessity that we feed these people high quality protein, no matter where it comes from, it's going to take, um, you know, efforts from everybody, whether it's, you know, plant protein or animal protein. At the same time, that urbanization in the developing world has driven down um, rural populations. It's driven down access to skilled labor um, in these more remote localities. So you have this sort of, you know, the same sort of uh, momentum creating, you know, a problem on it on, on both sides. And so, you know, the industry is going to have to, you know, figure out how to square that circle. And what we're seeing, you know, broadly in, in ag is more automation. Um, and automation can take a lot of forms, right? It can be a, it can be a robot tractor, um, it can be a uh, automated decision-making tool. It can be IoT and automated data collection. And I think it's going to be—I think it's going to be all of those things, you know, working together. And I think it's going to be um, an evolution. At the same time, you know, the environment's changing. I guess that much is is known. Why it's changing? I guess. People can disagree and we don't have to get into all of all of that. But, um, you know, we're going to have to have a more intelligent, you know, global system of allocating resources and optimizing production. Yeah. Yeah. And the way we do that is going to look different than ever before. I mean, we, we become very good at being sustainable and efficient growers and producers but we've done that with better understanding the animal um, as a biologic system and, and how we how we build farms and, and the way we logistically operate throughout the day. But the idea of displacing or enhancing people with technology, it, it's, it's very new for, for us on the animal side in a lot of ways uh, in regards to individualized care. Uh, because we've gotten very good at providing it on a on a on a herd basis, but individualized, it it's very young. It's you know it's it's really it's really interesting because when you look at all the advances that have been made in in agriculture, um, I go back to fertilizers and refrigerated transport and you know satellites and you know you've touched on something that's been very important in cattle, which is genetics. Um, those have a limit, right? There, there yeah. is a, there is a weight at which 
least for the foreseeable future, you know, the bovine frame can only support so much weight, can only move and be transported at a, at a certain weight. So that there is a limit, you know, to what that kind of pure technology can do in the industry. So you're left with, you know, how do you optimize um, operations around what you feed, how you feed, how often you feed. And then when you get to animal health and the imperative to reduce antibiotics use, you know, that's where the individual, particularly in cattle, becomes it becomes very important because a lot of times a producer essentially has no choice but to use medical access to treat, you know, a whole pen of cattle on intake because they're high risk, right? And yep. he will go out of business if he waits for them to get sick because in the present, you know, way that's done, you've got a one pen rider looking at 5,000 head of cattle or more. He's not going to spot them early enough, um, no matter how good he is. You know, you got a pen with 200, 400 head of cattle in him. And they sort of, when they see you coming, they're not coming to you saying, hey, I feel sick, right? Because we're predators and they're prey. They're hiding, you know? And so, you know, it is definitely an opportunity to use sort of persistent, passive, if you will, monitoring to identify those sick animals early and treat them individually, um, which, believe me, Every single producer wants to do, would prefer to do. They do, they do not want yeah, to use yeah. antibiotics are expensive and it limits where the meat can be sold. You can't, you know, you can't export it to Europe, certainly. Um, and so I think that kind of globalization of the, you know, food supply chain as well will kind of drive people towards, you know, some of these more individual methods, but it is a super hard problem to solve. It's super complicated, really difficult. And two vets who've been working, you know, in the same environment for 30 years can look at a group of animals and have a difference of opinion on which ones are sick. I mean, and they'll all admit that's true. You know, yep. it's yep. hard. It's hard. It is. So when we look at the future and this transition that's going to have to be made, what are the pitfalls or risks in our way that could really stonewall us from making the necessary adjustments that are going to be needed to really rise to the occasion? Yeah, I, I think um, one of the biggest challenges that we see in the cattle market, uh, and I'm is you know, people who spend their whole life studying this, and, and I'm no expert, but I certainly know this from talking to people is how do you reward a producer for, for doing the right thing? Right. And I think, you know, it's, Oh, well, you know, we put a label, we do the whole foods, you know, you know, scoring system, which great. I think that's brilliant, frankly, that they're doing that. And I totally support it. The problem is that money sadly does not make it all the way down the chain, it stopped somewhere along the way. And I won't say, you know, who it's, where it stops or why, you know, but it doesn't all make it necessarily to the person who, you know, does a lot of the hard work and needs to make investments. Yeah. For the, for that, those things to happen. So that's sort of a 
little broken. Yeah, the consumer wants to hold the corporates accountable, yet the corporates are collaborating with family growers and the family growers aren't necessarily benefiting from all of the the pressures exerted by the consumer. So the, the consumer thinks they're pressuring a corporate, but really they're pressuring a family farmer, which is who they're trying to support. And they have no idea that's what's going on. Right. And, you know, not to put too fine a point on it, but the corporates, they're not always passing along the extra you know, dollars are getting from those motivated consumers, right? So there's this idea that, oh, well, people would pay more for X, you know, if it was Y. They'd pay more for, you know, whatever, milk, if it was you know, antibiotic-free. Well, okay, fine. But when you look at something that's a little less uh, cut and dried, like sustainability um, or like well-being, um, that's where like, okay, we want people to invest in those things, but how do they get paid mm-hmm. for it? Right. That's a, that's a big, that's a big challenge. And, you know, the other challenge for, you know, for PLT and, and the other tech companies is, and we already talked about it, right. I mean, you have to provide solutions that, that work, that don't break, you know, and that move the, move the needle. Um, but, Let's be honest, these producers aren't going to be buying a bunch of stuff that breaks. Yeah. The needle. It's not going to happen, right? But it's a challenge. You know, it's a challenge. Absolutely. So, as we kind of wrap things up, I ask a few questions that uh, are kind of fun here. What's something about you most of the people you work with do not know? Hmm. What's something about me most people don't know? I guess. I mean, I'm an Eagle Scout. I guess I don't really put that out there very <laughs> often. So, you know, depending on what you think of me, that either surprises you or makes a lot of sense. <laughs> so if we break down and we're stuck somewhere, you, you can take care of us. Yeah, yeah. We'll throw, the, throw a tourniquet on and yeah, you'll be fine. <laughs> and what's a golden nugget you'd have, a, a life lesson that you can share with listeners? Um, you know, and again, depending on what you think of you, me you might think this is ironic, but you know, uh, something that I've learned is just you know, shut up, ask a question, and shut up. You know, give people the time and space to answer, ask a question. You know, there's a lot to learn out there, and I've found out. I've found the more I know, and the more I learn, the more I have to learn, and that's been certainly true in this. Uh, business and been you know very gratifying to be educated so much so my life lesson is you know shut up (laughs) i love it well thank you for joining us on the popular pig podcast it's been a real pleasure to have you on as a guest and we, we all thank you all right i appreciate the time and yeah my pleasure as well Thank you for joining us on this episode of Popular Pig. We aspire to learn and grow together through the experience and wisdom shared by our esteemed guests. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues within the swine industry. For more information, please go to popularpig.com to receive updates when new episodes are available. Popular Pig is brought to you by Swine Tech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com.